Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and direct to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Monica Attard. Last week, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age ran a series of major articles looking at what it saw as the very real risk of a coming war with China. The political and international editor, Peter Harcher, put together a special panel of experts and they were all very loud in agreement. Namely, war is coming and soon, very soon. Alarming stuff indeed, but for former Prime Minister Paul Keating, the articles were not only alarming, they were alarmist and grossly irresponsible. But as Peter Harcher pointed out, the rhetoric coming from China is loud and clear for war and soon. So who's right? And what about the much-talked-about reset in relations that Penny Wong and Anthony Albanese have been working on? This week, we also finally got detail about the Arcus Agreement, and it's far bigger and way more expensive than anyone was expecting. Has Australia just crossed the Rubicon, or are we just witnessing more noisy bluster from our pollies, our media, and our punditry class? To discuss this, we have Bill Bertels, who's the ABC's former China correspondent. His book, The Truth About China, is published by Alan and Unwin. Bill Bertels, thank you very, very much for joining us again on Fourth Estate. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Monica. Um, first of all, uh, of all, what did you make of the series that the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age ran last week, the three-part series, which many have called Alarmist? What did you make of it? Well, I just think it's that old battle in journalism between doing uh, accurate, truthful, impartial journalism on one hand and then trying to have impact uh, on the other. And it seems to me the editors um, and and obviously Peter Harcher himself, they decided on this time they really want to do something that has impact. They can interview a bunch of uh, policy wonks and get some theoretical ideas about what could potentially happen. But that's the sort of thing that normally buries itself in the feature features section or lower on the website. You get the usual crowd uh, reading it. And it seemed to me they were trying to actually uh, have a bit of impact and, and get a broader audience thinking about uh, the possibility of conflict in the region. So I can see what they were trying to do. Um, obviously, there are criticisms that a lot of people have made because when you only get five experts out of potentially hundreds in Australia who could talk seriously about these issues, um, you're going, you're going to, well, you could have, they could have got a more balanced group of experts, that's for sure. But the flip side is, you know, John Lyons from the ABC did exactly the same thing not too long ago. He chose four experts, um, all credible people like Hugh White, uh, but all people who basically produced a, a rather different view Mm-hmm. Um, one that Australia shouldn't uh, get uh, involved in the US defence of Taiwan. So it's not like what the Herald was doing was radically different to what the ABC previously did. Um, but on one hand, it did have a lot of impact. A lot of people read it. On the other hand, you could argue that they kind of framed their conclusions as more authoritative than they should have by giving it this sort of screaming front page treatment. So so they, they, got, they got the impact. Do you think it was truthful and impartial? Well, the thing is, you could argue, and it is realistic to say there's a possibility that there would be a Chinese move on Taiwan in the next few years. It's just at the lower spectrum of likelihood. 
Um, so it's not a, I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all for media organizations to be publicly discussing this and getting people to think about it. But it's a it's a fair criticism that in order to try and get a broader audience to think about it, uh, they put that that low probability of conflict within three years uh, as a headline and sort of made it sound more authoritative and likely than it probably is. Right. I mean, you know, you can you can sleepwalk into war, but you can also walk into one on purpose. You know, when you have um, a media organisation that, that that's beating the the war drum as loudly as that, I, I imagine that does have impact. It certainly does on audiences. Uh, do you think it has much impact uh, beyond audiences with policymakers, with government, with you know, the way uh, the the technocrats view the situation? This particular series, I think, would have had more impact on a broader audience rather than the, the policymakers in Canberra because um, people working in the foreign ministry, in, the, in DFAT, in um, defence, they're well and truly aware of these issues and they're also aware of where people like Peter Jennings, formerly of Aspie, uh, where he stands on the issue. So I don't actually think um, it would have uh, shifted um, the understanding of the situation of China and Taiwan and Australia all that much among people who are already uh, working in that field. But in more general terms, I suppose, if you have the broader electorate um, tuning in and saying, oh, wow, you know, the Herald reckons there's actually a decent chance of uh, China making a move on Taiwan and embroiling Australia in the next few years, that, I suppose, has a follow-on effect to the broader debate, to uh, local MPs who take that back to Canberra. Um, but among those who would actually make the decisions about Australia's future, I, uh, I think they're already well and truly got their heads in these issues. Right. So, Bill, you know, in the unlikely event that China moves on Taiwan in a time frame substantially uh, less than um, envisaged by the broader community generally, so say they move um, on Taiwan sooner than we all think they might. Does Australia belong in that war? Well, that's a that's not a question as an ABC journalist. I think I'm supposed to have an opinion on, but I can look at it from the the two perspectives. Um, you know, from Paul Keating's perspective, obviously he's been very vocal about this, and many others. Uh, it's it's just not Australia's fight. And you'd end up having Australia playing a, a small but nonetheless important role uh, in as in an opposition uh, war to China, which would obviously have economic uh, implications and long-term relationship implications for Australia with China. On the flip side, you have this argument that um, it is not in Australia's interests for China to take control of Taiwan. Uh, it's not in the interests of Australia's main military partner, the United States. If China takes Taiwan, that also is a threat to Japan's security. Uh, and what's the point of the US being an Asia power if it can't prevent or try to prevent uh, a nation, um, sorry, a, a, an attack by China on Taiwan? And then furthermore, uh, what's the point of all these US military alliances in the region uh, if if in the end it's shown that the US is quite ineffective? So I can sort of see the arguments both ways. It's certainly not easy to have a, a, a yes or no black or white opinion on it. 
No. So uh, like back in June 2021, you were on Fourth Estate, um, as I recall, and uh, and you and I were talking at the time about the strong war talking that was coming out of the Morrison government and 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 some sections of the media, I believe, nine media at the time as well. So, you know, what what's different this time around in 2023? Is this just more of the same, or has something changed that has has alarmed, uh, you know, alarmed? journalists and 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 media more broadly i feel it's all the same i feel people were talking about this a few years ago but perhaps it's not getting the cut through uh with the broader population um that uh, some people feel it should have and so that might be why for example at nine newspapers they decided to go big um with this uh, red alert series I don't think that much has changed. I mean, last year you had uh, the Chinese firing a missile over Taiwan and firing missiles around Taiwan to respond to the visit of Nancy Pelosi, then House Speaker. So you have had a pretty clear demonstration of um, Chinese military saber rattling. As for the talk of war, I mean, for me, I spend a lot of time monitoring um, Chinese state media, the comments and statements of uh, Chinese officials. I I really always found in Australia a bit confusing that people got quite upset about Australian uh, political figures talking about the prospects of conflict in the region when you've got, you know, the Chinese leader himself this week saying we need to build our military into a great wall of steel to defend China's sovereignty. By China's sovereignty, he includes Taiwan in that. He includes Mm -hmm. the entire South China Sea in that. Um, I see incredible amounts of military propaganda on Chinese state TV and uh, Chinese state media. Um, to me, I see so much saber rattling and military talk from China's government itself that I see the much more mild language sometimes expressed by Australian politicians or bureaucrats as as not that unreasonable in comparison. So, does that account then for the way media here reacts to to you know any discussion of China that that they're also tuning into that saber rattling from that end, and they and and they're swayed by that. And how real yeah. is it? Yeah, I think the the correspondents who uh, cover China and pay a lot of attention to China, they certainly see that. There are a lot of correspondents from Australia now in Taiwan. We were here when. China was uh, carrying out those military drills. We get the daily updates from the Taiwan ministry about uh, Chinese flights over the median line of the Taiwan Strait. It's a daily occurrence now. So uh, we do pay a lot of attention to that. But I think journalists back in Australia, people like Peter Harcher, they too pay a lot of attention to that. Analysts do. Uh, I think even though you could argue that uh, the Chinese Communist Party has been uh, quite militaristic with its language for a long time, and it also it does have a habit of uh, talking in two different ways. On one hand, let's say with Taiwan, it says that we will never tolerate uh, separatism or external interference. On the other hand, it says we hope for peaceful reunification. So, you know, you do have these mixed messages always coming out of Beijing. It's not necessarily new. Um, but certainly, I think under Xi Jinping, the invoking of nationalism has been stepped up a notch. Uh, and Xi Jinping doesn't mind getting in the car key and doing the military uh, photo ops or standing on uh, aircraft carriers or what have you. So I do think the Chinese government itself is being more forthright in portraying this sort of strong military image. And that is having an effect on those who cover China. So tell us a little bit about the reaction that you've observed from the Chinese media and from Chinese social media uh, to the Red Alert series. Has it been explicit? 
Uh, I haven't looked at much Chinese social media because there's so much censorship and opinion guidance on there that it's not a very good gauge, I think, anymore on these sorts of issues. But um, we've, I do monitor WeChat groups in Australia of Australian uh, Chinese who are Australian citizens, but are very, very critical of, um, often very critical of comment, commentary that uh, is take, takes a hawkish view on China. And a lot of that too has crossover with China because it's WeChat. So a lot of the users in those groups are also in China as well as Australia. Uh, but more generally, um, the reaction has been what it kind of always is. The Chinese government for years now has seen the Australian media as being very excitable, uh, seeing the Australian media as being very dramatic, um, seeing the Australian media as um, basically warmongering in a way that it's uh, that anything that China does in terms of its military buildup is completely legitimate. And for Australia to get upset about it or for the Australian media to pay excess attention to it, uh, then that's a fault of the excitable Australian media. It's that sort of reaction. I haven't seen anything more specific for the Red Alert series because I've just seen so much of this general uh, response uh, from China over the years. It doesn't mean all of it's illegitimate. You know, there, there have been excitable media reports in Australia about China uh, quite a bit in recent years. Um, but what you don't have in China because of the incredibly pervasive censorship and opinion guidance from the party is much of a domestic public debate about whether the Australian media has a point on any of these issues. And 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 would they care? I mean, it does, is, is it, you know... Nah, I don't no. think so. No. Well, they, they would. I'm pretty... You know, you talk to policy analysts, right, Um you know, there's this guy in Shanghai who's with one of the top universities. He's a US-China specialist, but of course he looks at uh, the broader region as well, including Australia. Um, he's actually pretty good. He, he's not a, a mouthpiece for the Chinese government, but of course he's within the Chinese system. So he used to be one of the more reasonable, one of the more matter-of-fact people I could go to for commentary. Uh, he's been banned by his university from accepting foreign media interviews because he's regarded as a bit too moderate, and there's now a more conservative bunch running the university. Likewise, uh, a guy up in Beijing, Xu uh, Yinhong, who has been pretty good over the years accepting foreign media interviews, I don't think he's been banned or anything, but he's been uh, mobbed recently on Chinese social media by nationalists uh, for being a bit too accommodating with his commentary towards the US, even though he's and no one would ever accuse him of being anything um, but a sort of patriotic uh, uh, observer of the Chinese perspective. So um, there is this massive, huge problem in China that unlike Australia, we have a country where a former prime minister can test strips off the current government over this. Uh, the media can go multiple ways on these issues. You just don't deal with that equivalent openness of debate, unfortunately, in China itself. Bill, you mentioned earlier the, the WeChat groups that you that you've been having a bit of a look at in uh, in in Australia. What what do you think you know the dangers are for the Chinese community in Australia as a result of this kind of you know warmongering journalism or conflict escalatory journalism, if you like? You know, are there dangers, or or do you think that that the Chinese community, as you know them as a reporter? would just take all of this in their stride? So there are people in the um, Chinese community in Australia who are very, very concerned in general about 
the uh, worsening of relations with China, even though things have um, diplomatically got a bit easier in recent times, uh, it's certainly never going back to how it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think they're worried about a a follow-on effect of possible racism towards uh, uh, Chinese Australians in Australia um, or things like um, academics or researchers of Chinese backgrounds um, facing barriers to um, get to positions at universities and things like that. So there's certainly, and this isn't just Australia, there's concern in the US as well. So this is certainly uh, something that people talk about when they refer to social cohesion. You, you see some people writing, um, some you know respectable people recently have written articles where they've said we need to consider the impact on social cohesion um, of uh, not necessarily journalism about China, but Australia's various policies towards China, including a potential involvement in a a war over Taiwan. Um, The thing is, the difficulty with all this is Australia is a multicultural nation, um, as starkly opposed to China, which, you know, despite claiming it has 56 ethnic minority groups, primarily is pretty monocultural. And one thing that Beijing does appeal to publicly and they did it the other Xi Jinping did it the other day in his closing speech at the Congress uh, is uh, he calls on uh, Chinese both at home and abroad to all contribute to the great rejuvenation of China. So that's basically a signal that uh, even though the Chinese government does respect foreign passports and foreign nationality uh, it there is this sort of vague term overseas Chinese where they don't define whether that means foreign foreign nationals and there's this sort of expectation, not explicit, but implied, uh, that all sons and daughters of the Yellow River, as they're sometimes referred to, uh, should contribute to the great rejuvenation and thus be loyal politically to Beijing, or at the very least, stay out of the way of Beijing's ambitions. So this is a real difficulty because Chinese Australians, like all Australians, are Australians. And of course, um, you'd assume that Uh, You don't want social cohesion problems as a result of Australian foreign policy. But you already are seeing some people in that community worried that there is starting to be issues around discrimination or so forth. But also, too, you wouldn't want Australia's uh, foreign policy to be basically determined by another country uh, because... um, you know, Australia is a, is a tolerant migration country, and, and therefore we, you know, we shouldn't uh, be too firm in our opposition to uh, Chinese military ambitions because we're worried about things being unsettled at home. You can understand there's a bit of a contradiction and a bit of a sort of difficulty with this issue, and it's not one that's easy to resolve. Well, talking about Australia's foreign policy being determined by another country, that's probably a very good segue. So very full points to you, Bill, um, for, for doing this for us. But it's probably a very good segue into AUKUS and the agreement that has been signed between Australia, the United States and uh, the United Kingdom. It's far more ambitious, also way more expensive than anybody was expecting. What are your thoughts and and, and how do you think that it's being viewed in Beijing? Well, the the first thing with AUKUS is it's clearly a plan where everything has to go right and there are a lot of moving parts over many years. Uh, And so you can imagine it first of all needs congressional um, approval and then it needs continued support from possibly a Trump or DeSantis administration or at least several future administrations need to continue to back it. 
You need to pick up the pace of construction in US shipyards uh, to get uh, those uh, Virginia-class subs to Australia. You need robust budgets to continue in Australia decade after decade in order for the Australians to uphold their end of the bargain. You then need the Brits to get their design uh, production capabilities together on time without blowouts. Uh, and then eventually you need Australia, which doesn't have a sterling track record with submarine construction being on time or being uh, kept under budget, uh, to then um, manufacture or produce these subs with uh, British and American help. And you need budgets and timelines to um, stay close to their original plans. There are just so many things where this plan could be yeah. could go wrong or at least could be delayed or the costs could blow out. So, um, yes, it's one heck of a capability if Australia can actually get uh, long-range, uh, more capable submarines. But uh, I think most people, when they saw the details of the plan, were a bit overwhelmed by its complexity and its cost. Um, for Beijing, no surprises with the response from the Chinese government. Uh, China operates at least 12 nuclear-powered submarines of its own. I've seen slightly higher estimates, although most of their submarine fleet is still um, diesel, electric-powered. Um, so on one hand, from China, you've got, you've got this general thing saying this is part of a Cold War mentality and Australia and the US and the UK are walking down a dangerous path. This is consistent with Beijing, which has been building its military up at unprecedented speeds for peacetime, and yet it gets very annoyed when any of its neighbour countries more modestly build up their militaries. Look at Japan, for example. Japan uh, is starting to rearm properly now after years of a pacifist constitution because they're very worried about China. And China's going there saying, you can't do that. We can build up our military, but how dare you do it? And there's a little bit of that as well with AUKUS, with the Chinese saying, how dare you have a far more modest submarine fleet than what we have? But um, the real uh, issue with uh, China trying to thwart this plan is that they're going for it on uh, nuclear non-proliferation grounds. Yeah. And that would be the interesting thing at the IAEA, the Global Nuclear Watchdog, even though thus far they haven't been able to lobby uh, successfully member countries to oppose this plan, they will keep the lobbying up, no doubt about that. And what they're ultimately trying to do is force the uh, IAEA to move away from its standard practice whereby the agency strikes a deal with the three AUKUS countries where they provide um, safeguards and information on how they're going to do this all safely. Uh, and what Beijing is trying to do is basically override that and have some more government-to-government uh, -government approval process where Beijing could obviously get in there and you know try and veto it. And why do they want to do that? Well, uh, some Chinese analysts actually believe that there is genuine paranoia in Beijing that long-term this is opening the door to Australia getting nuclear weapons, but not many analysts outside of China think that's the legitimate reason. It appears the main reason is uh, Beijing doesn't want um, long-range submarines lurking around waters in Asia, which it wants to dominate, because it thinks the United States will have the heft now to force Australia to use those submarines for US containment of China. Right. Look, another another aspect to the to the whole um, deal, which I think is is really gaining traction and has been pushed along by Paul Keating today in a speech to the um, the National Press Club in Canberra, is that essentially what this is all about is the underlying premise of the agreement that because China is the United States enemy. 
um, it, is, it is therefore our enemy and that we are not in a position to be taking on America's wars and 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 should not want to be. What, what are you what's your take on that? What so this is, this, this is yes this is the main uh, well, one of the main criticisms of AUKUS aside from the costs and the process and everything else uh, is that it um, for Australia goes well beyond Australia's defence needs and that the only purpose Australia would have for these long-range subs that don't need refuelling uh, is to join with the United States to do missions uh, closer to China's coastline in the South China Sea, in the East China Sea, uh, but also to, I suppose, to um, contest with Chinese long-range subs in the South Pacific as well, which is a bit closer to home for Australia. So that's the main argument. Uh, and the uh, I think it's actually quite a a good point that despite assurances from uh, the Prime Minister and President Joe Biden, et cetera, that Australia will have sovereignty over these subs, there clearly is going to be a lot of co-crewing for many years. There will be reliance on the United States to service the reactors. Um, for this reason, uh, China believes that it will be very easy for the Americans to pressure Australia to use these submarines um, with US missions to contain China. So Paul Keating uh, raising that issue again, we've seen others, I think we've even seen Malcolm Turnbull talk about this sovereignty issue a bit. Uh, and it's a real issue. And um, the it, I don't think China is paranoid about it at all. I think um, this is precisely one of the reasons the Americans want to do this. Uh, and uh, I don't think necessarily uh, that you would straight off argue that this isn't something Australia should do because Australia is a US ally and you can make an argument that they should work together, etc. Uh, but there's certainly an argument that this is something Australia shouldn't do, um, picking, you know, being part of a fight that is not necessarily Australia's fight. So uh, Keating is probably the strongest voice on this. Uh, and I notice he's been at the press club uh, making that case again. Yes, he has been, and his speech in full has been published by The Australian. It's appearing on its front page online at the moment. So it'll certainly get a lot of uh, media attention. But, I mean, I guess there's also the risk in tying ourselves to the hip like we are with this deal to the United States because, of course, there's no guarantee that a future Republican administration, for example, would follow the same brief or even have a coherent set of foreign policy objectives, generally speaking, not just in relation to China. Yeah, a lot could go wrong on the US end. Um, we don't even know if Biden can get this passed through Congress at the moment. So um, this is, I was speaking to a Taiwanese military analyst, he's quite good, and he was saying, he, I said, well, you know, what do you think of this whole thing? And he said, I think this is a plan that will change several times. Um, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't think this, this sort of piecemeal plan of we're going to do this and then stage two and then stage three thinks there will be many adjustments going forward um, because circumstances will change, budgets will change, the enthusiasm of US administrations or Congress will change. Um, so for, for that reason, I, I don't think this timeline of what we're going to get and when is set in stone at all. Uh, one interesting thing, though, so people who think that this is primarily about deterrence on Taiwan, they make the argument that if you take Xi Jinping at his word, um, he's going to make a move on Taiwan before the turn of the century, because mm. that's when the so-called great rejuvenation has to be completed by. Um, and therefore, we probably by the 2040s would only have, what, a few of these Virginia class subs at best. 
But uh, this analyst in Taiwan, now he's by no means um, uh, indicative of everybody's thinking at all, but uh, he doesn't believe China will uh, invade Taiwan by that deadline. He doesn't believe in the deadline. He thinks it's it's too troublesome and that Beijing will wait and wait and wait decades until it feels that it can do it in a peaceful way where there won't be pushback. So his argument was, look, you know, these subs, I don't really think uh, that if they're not not ready in time for a Chinese move on Taiwan, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's a waste of the program. He was saying, I think long term, this is more about the bigger battle between the US and its allies and China. And these submarines would be contesting waters in the South Pacific, in the South China Sea, uh, Southeast Asia uh, for many, many decades. It's not all about Taiwan. Have you seen much, um, you know, good media discussion, analysis of those issues, either in Australia or elsewhere in the international media? Yeah, a lot. Uh, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, sort of chin scratching feature stories that are, you know, in Reuters or in um, uh, in US media like the Wall Street Journal. But it's all very elite. It's the it's sort of stuff that people have been people who need to read it have been reading it for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more, I think, with the China coverage in Australia, it's more the tabloidy sort of stuff trying to reach a breach a broader audience where, you know, you get fast and loose playing with the truth a bit. And you see that sometimes with um, the News Limited papers or news.com, the ABC even sometimes is a little bit like that. Um, You could argue there was a, 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 you know, a bit of that going on with the Hartcher article the other day. Um, But I, I don't think there's a lack of sort of nuanced coverage about all this sort of stuff. I think you just have to actively search for it and you find it, in the usual suspects, the the old school broadsheet uh, websites uh, or the US, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the FT, um, you're not likely to see it so much in the kind of more parochial elements of the Australian media. So, Bill, a final question to you. Um, do, do you have hopes of ever being able to get back to Beijing as a correspondent, as a resident correspondent? No, it's not my plan at all. I think it's... Uh, I'm set, not set to be going there next at all. And uh, I think it's a great folly for anybody to completely make their career all about China in the 21st century because uh, I'm hanging out here in Taiwan with a bunch of journalists, mainly from American media, who have been uh, forced out of China in one way or another. Some of them have been waiting on visas to go back to China for the last couple of years, and they're now starting to give up. Uh, others are sort of holding out hope that one day in Xi's China, they'll be allowed back in. Uh, I just think, I really do think we are in the midst of an unofficial new Cold War, uh, luckily one where there is a lot more interaction than the old Cold War. But the idea that you'd want to make your entire career about China uh, when there is um, a very little chance of actually Uh, going back and spending substantial time there. I think it's a great mistake these days. So uh, I'll be keeping an eye on it, but I I do intend to uh, cover other areas uh, soon in future. I know I said that was the last question, but this is about another journalist, and that's the Australian journalist, Cheng Li, who has been in detention since um, 2020, August of 2020. 
she was working for CGTN, which is an English news service, uh, although state-controlled. State now, there have been some back-channel moves to free her, but she certainly hasn't generated the same kind of online heat as somebody like Julian Assange, for example. It kind of feels like we've forgotten about her. I'm sure you haven't, but do you hold out any hope that she may get to come home soon? Oh, I feel she's had a, a fair bit of coverage. We've done our done our part to uh, cover her case um, when we can. But you know, we interviewed her family um, once. But the thing is, her family are keeping a low profile, um, and that makes it more difficult. Assange is a rather different character. Um, <laughs> you, you sort of you have all these online these people who are really you know anti-US pro-China they always say oh you're not covering Assange you're not covering Assange well it's not my job but our London correspondents certainly do uh, on the flip side you have people uh, accused of not uh, talking much about Chung Lei's plight but I do think the Australian media has it's just that um uh, it's a very different system. Uh, China does not like it uh, when people uh, point out publicly uh, that they're treating somebody in a, a pretty appalling way. Um, this is a woman who's never been convicted of anything. They tried her in secret. They've held her in jail for two and a bit years, close to three, I think now. Uh, and she's still there with no end in sight to this ordeal. So um, I, I think uh, the even the Australian government are pretty careful with how they raise her case. Mm -hmm. I would assume that uh, she would be getting out of jail this year or hopefully, certainly hopefully by next year, you'd hope it would be straight away because um, the Chinese government is well aware that this is a big problem in them trying to improve relations with Australia, but they're quite obviously still holding her as a form of leverage. Uh, as they are with the other Australian, Young Hung Jun. And we shouldn't forget there's a third Australian, a bloke named Carm Gillespie, uh, who was caught red-handed smuggling methamphetamine through Guangzhou Airport about seven years ago, although it seems like a rather silly thing for anyone to do to take it on the carry-on. So I do wonder if he was a bit duped or something. And he was uh, ceremonially sentenced to death uh, in the form of a press release on the court website right in the middle of heightened tensions between Australia and China. So I see it as three Australians who are either in jail or have been, or in the case of Gillespie, been sentenced to death uh, for what appears to be diplomatic uh, political reasons, or at least that's a major factor in their plight. So, yeah, it's not just uh, Lei, and you would hope that if the Chinese government wanted to be sincere in generating goodwill with Australia, instead of holding these Australians in one form or another as a form of leverage, uh, they might actually start to release them, or in Gillespie's case, downgrade his sentence. Um, something like that would be a practical step in uh, trying to improve the bilateral relationship, which is something that they so often accuse Australia of not doing enough on. Well, Bill, we'll leave it there with that. Um, as always, a pleasure to chat to you and the best of luck. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on to Fourth Estate. Thank you, Monica. Appreciate it. And on that note, I'd like to thank Bill Bertels for being on Fourth Estate and thanks to you for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. 
Make sure you subscribe to For the State on your favourite podcast app so that you can hear us talk about media and politics and, of course, everything in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle there is For the State AU. Thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockwell. My name's Monica Attard and thank you for listening.